Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. And welcome to another exciting installment of the Kago Lasso podcast. I'm Jimmy Conrad. I'm filling in for the illustrious Luis Miguel Echegaray, being joined by James Benj. And we are doing a Champions League preview, and it is happening right now. Yes, James Benj, thank you for joining me for this very special Champions League preview. We're going to get into all of the games that are coming up, of course. You're going to be at Stanford Bridge. For Chelsea versus Lille, I'm very excited about yeah. that. How excited are you, James Benj, to actually be in person for a big Champions League match? Uh, uh, is it really a big Champions League match? I feel like Chelsea-Juventus was bigger. Um, mm, but fair. don't tell that to Lille. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of strange because a year ago was at, the, at Stamford Bridge for Chelsea-Atletico Madrid, which like felt massive whereas this kind of feels like a Europa League game but we shouldn't be talking the product down mm. I'm really looking forward mm. to it. my first time seeing Jonathan David uh, and Timothy Weyer in the flesh so yes. I think that in particular I am hyped for and both are supposed to start so I'm excited yeah. to uh, get your report on uh, some CONCACAF legends as they were now as a reminder everybody make sure you hit that like and subscribe button if you're watching this on the YouTubes and if you're listening to this in podcast form Make sure you give us a five-star review and like type some really good stuff about whatever you want, the soothing sounds of our voice or just this dynamic analysis, However, whatever you want to go with. That's what we'd appreciate. Uh, but we appreciate your support, as always, no matter where you're consuming this content. Now, Benj, let's get into this Chelsea-Lille game in particular. Actually, actually, sorry, everybody. Let's, let's strip this back. Do you think all the teams that are playing, we got Chelsea versus Lille, and Villarreal versus Juventus, that's on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, we have Atletico Madrid versus Manchester United and Benfica versus Ajax. Now, this is leg one for these particular affairs. Do you think all eight of these teams have learned something from last week's Champions League games and how I thought, James Benj, the teams that were really on the front foot took advantage of the first leg? They, they were being proactive, and ultimately, I thought they got rewarded for it. Do you think these teams and coaches were watching and are going to try to apply the same things? Because when I look at Chelsea, when I look at Atletico and Manchester United, they're a little bit more counterattacking, you know, in their vibes. Mm. But do you think we're going to see maybe something different given what we saw last week? I think, yeah, I, I, that's such a good question. And I think a lot of managers will have been watching what Carlo Ancelotti did um, against PSG and kind of feeling a bit baffled by it. Mm-hmm. Um because that sort of felt like a, ma- a manager that was reacting to there's no away goals rule now, right. rather than a manager that was just like, okay, well, it's just two normal games of football now. Right. Um, and I think there's been a lot of talk about this. I've just come out of Thomas Tuchel's press conference and it was sort of put to him, you know, what do you, you know, you disappointed to see the away goals rule going. And he was like, not really, no. It, you know, it suddenly just means we just play two normal games of football. I think the one thing he was saying he was disappointed about was that he doesn't get to do like bonus maths during the two legs where he's going, oh, carry the one, three away goals. Um, that seemed to be the only thing. And I think 
yeah, what we absolutely learn from these games is, you know, because home and away advantage is not not the thing it was in 1974 when you were going to Eastern Europe, um, mm. you know, playing behind the Iron Curtain and all that, you can kind of just attack these games as you would sort of any others and you will therefore generally be rewarded for playing in a positive fashion and you you know it, unless you are a, a a Salzburg playing against Bayern Munich and you nick an early goal there's not a great value to be to be had from defending for what is basically the first half of a game you know the sort of backs against the you're not going to do that for 90 minutes of a normal right. game so yeah no don't do it don't do it this weekend let's go to Google though well yeah well that was that's I love that you brought up Ancelotti because he got, uh, I don't say ridiculed or criticized, uh, that probably be a better word, by his own board for not being as proactive, for, for especially given how well of a season they've been playing and how they've been going forward. Now, I think that was Benzema maybe 60, 65% because mm. he was coming off an injury, but still, it just felt like they didn't really attack with numbers. It felt very ones and twos they were going with instead of like this collective effort to move together. So I'm very curious to see how that one's going to play out in leg two, but we'll preview that one when it's time. But I do think that 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 other managers should and could learn from that experience because, as you say, it's uh, it's just a little bit different with the away goals. So every time you say that you go talk to Thomas Tuchel or whatever, I'm always a little bit jealous for a couple <laughs> of reasons. One, I just think it's cool that you have that type of uh, uh, interaction or, or um, just there, right? You can be part of it and have that presence. But second, I just don't think people realize how tall Thomas Tuchel is. You know, he's got he's kind of got a Mr. Burns vibe to him. And Mr. Burns looks kind of, you know, old and small. But Tuchel's like six foot four or something. The whole Chelsea squad, actually a lot of footballers, and I know this won't be news to you, Jimmy, but a lot of footballers are a lot taller than you think. Because it's just sort of like the standard, you know, in general, and this isn't the NBA, but in general, being tall helps as a, as a footballer, as long as yes. you're not like, you know, ludicrously tall like it's so i mean kai havertz is the other one and even though i so i i met i met both him and tuchel for the first time before last season's final and both of them you're just like god who are these i'm six foot two i'm not used to people towering over me havertz was just like and tuchel (laughs) as well you're like oh wow look at you know i mean he is a Arsene Wenger is the ultimate example of that, by the way. Um, someone you just kind of think is a sort of diminutive French wizard, but he's not <laughs> a giant of a man. But Tuchel is, um, you can see why he carries a bit of an aura around dressing rooms and why people would be quite intimidated by him. Because yes, there's a Mr. Burns vibe, but it's like young, it's like Burns, the origin story. He's a bit of a pugilist and he'll... You know, he could swing a left hook at you, and I think he'd he'd knock you down. Well, I just have no, no doubt that Thomas would not do that. He's too intellectual and intense to be uh, to be fighting with his players. All right, let's talk about Chelsea. They're undefeated in 17 of their last 19 matches in the Champions League. Obviously, they're the reigning champions of this competition, beating Man City 1-0 in the final last year. Uh, they followed up their Club World Cup success, uh, being the champions of that, with a hard-fought 1-0 win at Crystal Palace. They've now won five successive matches in all competitions. So despite the fact that everybody's kind of down and out on them and that Romelu Lukaku, who started and played all 90 minutes against Crystal Palace, only had seven touches on the ball. One of those touches was off the kickoff, which I think actually speaks more about the team collectively than Mm. it does about Lukaku, or at least maybe a combination of both. Ziyech, though, has three straight goals in three straight Premier League games. So he's on fire. I expect him to start in this one. Talk to me about this Chelsea team. What is Tuchel saying as they lead into this one? Because now this is where the defense of their 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 title really kicks into gear. 
Yeah, this is a strange atmosphere for a team that, like you said, they've won a lot of their recent games, uh, four straight. Or, uh, but obviously none of them have been entirely convincing and they were all games that they would have expected to win. So there has been a sort of lot of talk about how tired they are. You know, Tuchel mm-hmm. mentioned jet lag and getting colds off the playing air conditioning, which are all totally valid reasons and valid <laughs> things that we know happen to us. But, you know, managers don't talk about those things when everything's fine. Um, it's a bit odd and the Lukaku thing really hangs over this. I'm with you, Jimmy. I think this is not about, or not entirely about Lukaku. I think when you pay $130 million for a player, you're entitled to expect that he can adapt to mm-hmm, changes mm-hmm. in your system. But also, you know, he look he would look a much better player with Reese James and Ben Chilwell stretching the pitch horizontally so that the whole defense doesn't just get to collapse in on him. Um, I, however, are you, are you saying that Malang Sar isn't good on the left <laughs> side whipping in balls? He's not going to bomb on, jump? is he? <laughs> He's not. And it does change. I'm going to jump in really quick because I thought what Crystal Palace did really well was they did collapse in on Lukaku. And I thought that Crystal Palace made it very hard for Jorginho to get on the ball and do what he wants, which allowed Rudiger a lot of time on the ball. And he ended up just kind of switching the point of attack from side to side. He wasn't necessarily looking down the middle. He was looking wide. And, and in fairness to him, it wasn't a bad decision. He could whip those balls out there. and then, But it just didn't lend itself to Lukaku ever finding any rhythm. And actually, more of a credit to Crystal Palace for kind of jamming up that that part of the, the field and not allowing their normal playmakers to get on it and, and do it. And almost like Patrick Vieira, the manager for Crystal Palace, like, all right, let's see if Rudiger can beat us, you know? And mm. they did more than enough to to uh, obviously got the goal that they needed to, to make it happen. But uh, yeah, I, I uh, anyway, continue. I just wanted to throw that in there. That Yeah, the, no. Crystal Palace sus- clearly had something set up to, to, to stop that. My suspicion is that the system will change um, and that Lukaku will stay in, but that he won't be a solitary number nine anymore. Not least because I think Chelsea play better with Havertz. As a, they argue that... Because you have, you know, the pit, you because you have that midfield that you have, mm-hmm. and you do kind of have wide forwards that cut inside, like Ziyech, and in theory, like a, a Pulisic, where a lot of what they're going to be giving you is shots and goals. I think that having a Kai Havertz that comes to the ball, can dribble, beat his man, is just something they're more comfortable with mm-hmm. than having to advance around the midfield and then play the ball to Lukaku, who also does not want to be playing as a sort of backs to goal point striker, you know, mm-hmm. to, to coin a phrase. So I have I have my, my suspicion is that in some way they will look to get someone nearer to um nearer to uh nearer to Romelu Lukaku probably mm-hmm. Havertz because I think Werner with Werner as well you've just got two people that want to spin in behind. So yeah, I think that that might be and you do you're gonna need creativity because Lille are not in great form but they're yeah. a pretty solid defence. No, I'll just jump in and say that Lille were held to a 0-0 draw in their last league game against Mets. Uh, that means that they've only won two of their last seven. And they did recently end a three-match winless away run. Now, this one is at Stanford Bridge, so an away game for them with a 1-0 win at Montpellier. Uh, I also want to add that they've been struggling for consistency since the beginning of the season, or excuse me, turn of the year, 2022. They've won two, drawn two, and lost three of their seven in 2022. And it just... As much as they have Jonathan David, and they're going to have the ageless wonder, Barack Yilmaz, probably partnering with him up top. And Timothy Weah is probably going to get the start because the guy that's been playing in front of him, Andre Gomez, looks like he got hurt against Mets. That's great for, for 
uh, an American perspective to get uh, Timothy Weah playing in a big game uh, against Stanford Bridge, Champions League. It's very similar how I feel about Josh Sargent playing for Norwich at Anfield against Liverpool. Like getting really incredible life experiences. That's only going to help the national team. Do you think that this this Lille team, despite being league on champions, but languishing in 11th right now, can do anything to really hurt this Chelsea team? Who do if, whether whatever you think about Chelsea's attack, their identity defensively is is sound, and they know how they should be moving, and they don't give up a lot of chances. And Edouard Mendy is arguably the best goalkeeper in the world right now. And one other thing I want to add for Lille, for everybody that wants to watch this game, and maybe from their perspective, their center back Sven Botman is going to be playing in this one. And I think there are going to be a lot of scouts watching this mm. game if he can handle Lukaku, whatever, because he's one of the biggest names in the transfer window for centre-backs this upcoming summer. Yeah, so if we're talking about how can Lille hurt Chelsea, mm-hmm. I wonder if it's, you know, you mentioned him there and I've mentioned it as well. I wonder if a lot of it comes down to David and can he make life difficult for Rudiger? Jamming, you know, because getting the ball out through Rudiger is so important to the way Chelsea play, whether it's in a, a back four or a back three. Mm-hmm. And I think you, what you really want to do is discourage him from like roaming into midfield or equally, you know, make, if he does roam into midfield and you can get the ball back quickly, make, make hay in the space in behind. I mean, one of the standout attributes Jonathan David has is he's fantastic. One of the best pressing forwards in, uh, in Europe. So can he slow Chelsea down and maybe steal a, a loose pass or two and hit them on the counter? I mean, realistically, I know, I know we've said, these games will be more open, but Lille's tactic has got to be to to stay in this tie and trust that you know the second leg will be a, a, a more a more exciting affair and, and home the home crowd will will help them. So yeah, I'm not super confident about them hurting Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see Lille hanging around to your point, Bench, because I just don't know if Chelsea are going to score that many. You know, I just think they have, they've only scored six goals in their last five games and and at least in the Premier League. And that's, that's just not great, especially with all the money they've been pumping into the team. All right. So this is the third meeting of these two teams all time in their history. They played against each other in the 2019, 2020 group stages. A lot of the same players for Chelsea, a couple of different changes uh, players for Lille, but those were both two, one wins for Chelsea. So there's going to be some familiarity, I think with some of these players, uh, Lille to win straight up is plus 1,000. Now, I remember the weekend preview, everybody, if you listen to that one previous uh, to this weekend or prior to this weekend, Spurs were plus 1,000 to beat Man City <laughs> at the Etienne. We all just laughed. Ha, <laughs> Spurs plus 1,000. And they did it. So if you bet them to win straight up, fair play to you. Just, I just want to throw that in there. But, but I'm going to go with the Thomas Tuchel special. This has hit this past weekend. I told people to bet it. It was Chelsea to win in under two and a half goals plus 255. I think he gets very pragmatic when it comes to knockout round competitions. I think 1-0 wins are something that he's completely fine with, and I like that value a lot. I am going to have a parlay at the end of all this, so anybody that wants to get into the parlay parte, uh, I'll give you some, some uh, a line that I'm looking at. But I think that we're going to see a 1-0, 2-0 in favor of Chelsea. What say you, Bench? Yeah, I, I think maybe 2-1 or 2-0 for Chelsea. It's going to be not entire they'll make it more difficult in the final mm-hmm. third than they need to but they should win this okay i like that all right let's move on to the other one that's happening on tuesday that will be february 22nd it is via real taking on the mighty juventus now juventus just to give everybody some context have suffered back to back I guess we could call it humiliations because they've invested so much money and they, they bought Cristiano Ronaldo to win Europe's biggest prize. But they've lost at this round, round of 16, the last two years. 
They're going to be looking to qualify for the quarterfinals since the first time since 2019. And that's where actually, when they got to the quarterfinals in 2019, they lost to Ajax. Ajax was on that great run. And they actually should have beat Spurs to get to the to the final. But uh, we're a little unlucky that uh, Lucas Mora li- uh, exists. But um, now, based on that, I think that's where Ajax was like, we should get this Delict guy. He seems pretty good. <laughs> now, Juve's like, recent European failure has really kind of seen or symbolize their demise from like a powerhouse to at least in Europe, a little bit of borderline mediocrity. That sounds pretty harsh, but, the but it feels like there, there's a little bit more hope now with Vlahovic, with Zachariah, Villarreal. Uh, they, or let me say like this, you just coming off on the weekends, one, one draw against Torino in the Turin Derby. Not a big shocker for me. I wouldn't read too much into that because the Derby game is always a little bit different mm. than any other games out there. Villarreal though, big four, one win. Um, this past weekend and did it in real style with Arno Danjuma, who ended up having his first hat trick in La Liga. And if you want to get an interview with him, Luis Miguel Echegaray sat down with him. So I highly suggest you go check that out. I think once you see that, Anjuma will be, you'll be a fan of Anjuma after you watch that interview. So I think you should go make that happen. What are you feeling about this game in particular? This game is in Spain. Unai Emery, obviously Villarreal are the reigning Europa League champions. Do you think there's an edge for either one of these teams? Uh, this is one I found really hard to put my finger on. And I mean, even like a week ago, I was a bit, uh, quite confident about Juventus. It felt like they were going somewhere. And, you know, I think, as you as you mentioned with Torino, but also with the, the draw against that away to Atalanta the week before, you know, neither of those are bad results. They're just not, mm-hmm. they're not quite, they're not good. But Juventus have been steadily improving. And as, as you said, they've added quality to this squad. And I think... And what's interesting about the round of 16 is there is a big gap between leg one and leg two. I think it's, what, three weeks mm-hmm. um, before these two teams will meet again. That's a lot of time for Vlavic, for Zakaria to familiarise mm-hmm. themselves with, with the squad. Because it sounds like, you know, Vlavic, by all accounts, did not set the world light against Torino. That didn't surprise me because I've always said he's not that good. But um, <laughs> anyway, I think it just gives more time for Juventus to settle. So I think they would be relatively happy to come back from, uh, from Villarreal with the draw. Equally, you know, something something has really clicked with the Real. I, I kind of struggle to understand it, but we have to remember when this Champions League group stage ended, we were talking about well, will we see Unai Emery next uh, next year in the uh, in the knockout stage because they were doing so poorly. But they've really clicked into gear. A, a, a team I'm I'm kind of going into with my eyes open a bit. But you look at the results: winning away at Betis, away at Granada, who may not be the force they were the season before last, but tough place to go. And then, you know, drawing mm-hmm. with Real Madrid, the form book says, do not rule out Villarreal at your peril. And I think we know Emery knows how to run a two-legged European tie. It's been a, quite a while since he's lost many of them. Yeah, and, and some fun facts. So I'll give you guys some more context, which I think adds some intrigue to everything. This is the, or Villarreal and Juve are the only round of 16 opponents that have never played against each other before. That's a fun one. The the Yellow Submarine, as Villarreal is nicknamed, have only made it this far twice previously. And they ended up winning each on each occasion to get to the round of 16 before losing to Arsenal in the quarterfinals. I remember it well. Jens Lehmann the, said the, But this is their first appearance in 13 years in the knockout rounds, whereas uh, Juve are, this is their eighth season running that they've been into this, this, this part of round of 16. Now I do want to say that Juve, where I think there is an opportunity for Villarreal to take advantage is that their defense is in shambles. Bonucci's out, Chiellini's out, and Pellegrini's out, Rugani's out. Like these are all the backups to, to this. So you're going to have Delict, 
who's going to be starting. Who's that's fine. That's solid. But they're going to have to put Danilo, who can play usually plays right back, or he can play in the midfield a little bit or on the right side. He's probably going to have to partner with them on the right back. Now, my only issue outside of Anjuma, who I think is going to cause him some problems in Dia, Gerard Moreno for Villarreal is also out. So really their talisman who scores a lot of their goals and, and was a big reason why they won the Europa League last season is also going to be out. But I still feel like this is a Villarreal team that could take advantage of this lack of familiarity with Danilo playing at center back. And then there's Chesney in goal with all due respect to him. He does have moments of having howlers and, and I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm very curious to see how, how this team sets up, knowing that they got the second leg in Turin and that they don't necessarily have to risk it. I almost feel like, to tie it back to your first point, Benj, that we could see a Carlo Ancelotti-type vibe mm. from Juventus in this one where they're just like, let's not stretch ourselves and get exposed. Let's just get out of here with the 0-0. If we can nick a goal, great. But, but let's just not make it too big. That's not something we can't overcome in the second leg. Yeah, I think exactly that. I mean, Allegri has been known to do that anyway. He's a manager that kind of is very comfortable setting his mm. side up to defend. And, you know, listen to all that. I just think, I just think if you're Juventus, you just go, yeah, let's see it off. Let's let's quieten down this tie, make it a bit easy for ourselves and um, and win it in Turin next month. I think that's probably a, a quite a smart tactic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So let's go to predictions and I'll give you some betting tips here. Villarreal are unbeaten in four coming into this one. And they're unbeaten in six at home. They've only failed to beat Atletico and Real Madrid during that run. So that's nothing to uh, sneeze at, even though Atleti are not that as great as they once were. Juve have only lost once in all competitions in 10 games in 2022. And that was in the Supercopa Italiana final against Inter when Alexis Sanchez scored like the 119th minute or whatever. But they did drop some points this past weekend. Maybe Vlahovic did show some vulnerabilities that maybe, to Benj's point, he's not as good as everybody thinks he is. I think that's just you being a bitter Arsenal fan, Benj, that you didn't get him in your team. I was, watched, I was saying as you watch Lacazette was... missing sitters or whatever it may be. I was saying this when Arsenal thought they might have a chance to sign him. He's he ain't he ain't it. Yeah. No. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I I will say that I'm looking strongly at Villarreal to win this straight up at plus 150. I think the draw is plus 225. I, I maybe would take both of those bets into my, like a parlay, but I think I'm going to lean towards Villarreal doing the business at home. They were very good at home in the Europa League last season. To your point about Unai Emery, I think he's going to be ready for this one. And I just don't feel like maybe Juve is going to have the intentions. Not only are their backline shambles, Paulo Dybala looks like he's going to be out as well. And he's a great link-up player for Vlahovic. So you bring in a Bernadeschi. He's just not Paulo Dybala. And so, so I'm kind of curious to see how this one all plays out. It's a very, this is like a chess match. Of all the matches in round of 16 here, this like feels like the most of a chess match. I'm going to say, I could see a 2-1 Villarreal. What are you saying? I mean, I've just got this image of, I mean, in, in my scenario, Max Allegri has been replaced by Liz Lemon from 30 Rock. <laughs> just walking into the Juventus dressing room, just going, shut it down shut it down and that's what they're going to do and i think they'll they'll come away with a nil nil draw and they'll be quite happy and i'll be quite happy i wasn't watching this game zero zero draw that's plus 220 everybody i like it though i wouldn't be surprised if we saw that as well all right those are the first two games of the champions league on tuesday we're going to get into the ones on wednesday right after the break it's going to be atletico madrid versus manchester united and Benfica versus Ajax. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside James Benj. I'm going to break it all down right after this. Hey, everyone. This is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. men's national team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. 
And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also, just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life, while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger, and don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com slash sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to the Kegelasso podcast. It's uh, secretly two of your favorite hosts, uh, Jimmy Conrad and James Bench. Let's go with all due respect to LME and Heath Pierce and everybody else. No respect. That likes to come. No, I'm just kidding. No respect for any of those guys. No, we appreciate them giving us the keys to the castle so we can run around and play in the Kegel Also Podcast Playgrounds. Now, Benj, let's get into it. This is the game I think that we all maybe circled on our calendars as the primo matchup. Atletico Madrid versus Manchester United. Well, and the reason I say that, Benj, really quick, is that they're kind of similar. They have all this talent, but I don't feel like they've actually reached their potential what do you say to that narrative? I just can't believe that we don't all have Benfica versus Ajax on our calendar. <laughs> the hipster's dream tie. <laughs> you know, what do you think I grow this beard for? No, I, I let, this is, I feel like as much as, in many ways, because neither of these teams are actually that good, we don't think, it does feel like the whole round of 16 has been building to Atleti Man United because you just... You know, we talk about it. I don't know if it's a phrase that's kind of entered the lexicon of US soccer, but out here in Europe, you have you have your Gaz, Gazprom moments. Gazprom is a, it's kind of like one of the sponsors of of the Champions League that we so associate with it that you just kind of, if you say to someone the Gazprom, everyone knows you mean the Champions League. But it's just, you know, it's going to serve up drama, mm-hmm. and stupidity, things you don't entirely understand. I think... The Champions League as a whole is better for Atletico Madrid having become a defensive team that can't really defend against good teams or even <laughs> mediocre teams. Um, and Manchester United are just like the most... I mean, as we saw against Leeds United, they are literally 20 seconds away from implosion at any minute. You know, I just pray that then we might get another storm or something because it is it's spectacular. It's funny it could be spectacular it could be funny it will almost certainly be dramatic there's so many storylines from Ronaldo to whether you know United need to find their own version of a Diego Simeone it's it's going to be joyous I don't know if the football's going to be any good but the, the, the <laughs> narrative oh. 
I, there's soap. It's a soap opera. I feel like both teams are having those like a soap opera esque type season. And just as a reminder, there's a nice rivalry, I guess, forming or have already already existed, but it's been heightened by when Diego Simeone and Atleti played against Juventus a couple seasons ago. Atleti scored a late goal, and that's when Diego Simeone like went to the sideline, looked at the crowd, and, like grabbed his huevos. You know, like he's like huevos. And then in the second leg, which Juve came back and ended up winning. Ronaldo scored and gave Simeone the old huevos thing. Ronaldo scored 25 goals in 35 appearances against Atleti in his career. Now it's just a matter of whether Ralph Rangnick actually plays them or not, because it seems like their relationship is a little bit. Uh, I mean, I, I I think what's hard, what we're seeing here is that Ronaldo looks like he refuses to accept that he's 37 years old and he needs to be smart about his minutes if he wants to be effective for and be good for 60 minutes almost in every game. And Rangnick, I think, is trying to take that into consideration while also trying to protect his very vulnerable back line who can give up two goals in two minutes like we saw against Leeds. And when he got subbed off against Leeds and they brought on Varane, it made a lot of sense tactically, but it pisses off one of the best to ever do it in Ronaldo who has that clutch gene, right? He always can step up and he's very good at scoring goals late in games. So do you think Ronaldo's going to have an impact? Do you think Rangnick even starts them here like where do you where, where, what's your lineup let's just let's just talk about Man United's lineup really quick because I'm kind of curious who you think that Rangnick's going to go with yeah I, I don't know if Cavani will be fit which might almost get Ronaldo the start by default although mm-hmm. I do think from what you know what we saw especially about those Liverpool Atleti games I would really be looking at how can I get as much pace into this front line as possible really force mistakes force mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Uh, whoever's in the Atletico defence to to commit. So I think we can be pretty certain that Sancho will start, um, whether it's a 4-2-2 or you know, a 4-3-2-1 or 4-3-3, however he lines up. Sancho at the moment looks like awesome. the, the danger man, the player we saw at, at Dortmund and someone that can really commit, um, you know, Atleti's sometimes shaky left flank. I, 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 don't, mm. I mean, you watch more of them than me. Has Renildo been playing very much for them? Because he was phenomenal. No. In the group he stage hasn't. for Lille. No, he hasn't. No, but he's, he's he's slated to start in this one, so it should be a good matchup. Yeah, he could be very important. But, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I want... I, I want to put as much pressure on this Atletico defence as possible if I'm Ranić, because I think under pressure, it can buckle. But equally, Fred and McTominay, again, in the, you know... Would you go with Pogba? Your do you, he was do you go with Pogba? Phenomenal against Leeds. But... I love I love watching him play when he's feeling it. He is so so good. It's so silky. I love it. But then you have to probably play him on the left or drop Brune. I I mean no one. Else dro- I think you dropped Fred. I mean Fred was a, like he used a spark plug when he came off the bench. And yeah, I don't know. It's possible. I just it's think possible. that leaves your your midfield looks a bit uh, light defensively then, and Varane and Maguire. They're not great together. Yeah, it's, it, I think that's the the joy of this game and what we're going back to is there isn't a Man United lineup that Ranić can put out that can make me think, oh, he's got it. That'll be fine, no problems. And equally, probably the same for Simeone. Like, yeah, they're just no, that's a great isn't shout. the right balance there. Um, so it's going to be a little bit whack a mole, but it'll be very fun. No, it'll be fun. It's going to be a great game. And and Jaden Sancho has been next level. Of any players that have actually benefited from Rangnick showing up, it's been Sancho. Like every single game, he gets a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And I'm pretty sure Rangnick and everybody else wishes the whole team was uh, kind of following suit. All right, just really quick, a a fun fact. Uh, Maguire's header, Harry Maguire scored the first goal against Leeds. That was United's first goal from a corner 
this season in the Premier League in their 139th attempt. And Maguire said after the fact that I'm embarrassed by that stat. I'm a big part of that set, set play routine and trying to score from corners. As a team, we've been nowhere near good enough. If we scored more from set pieces, we'd be higher up the table. And he's exactly right. So I'm kind of curious to see if, if, if uh, Manchester United can build on that in, in any particular no. way. And then, and then about Atletico really quick. I think this is a good opportunity to really tap into Jan Oblak, who prior to this season was considered one of the best goalkeepers in the world. This season, though, there's I don't know what the drop off is. I don't know why or where he is mentally or if it's just because the defense has been a little bit makeshift because everybody's been hurt or suspended or whatever it may be. He only has six clean sheets this season, whereas I think at this point last year he was already like close to 15 to 20, you know. So I'm kind of curious to see if they can get after Oblak and just that defense uh, as you mentioned before, this Atleti team can hurt you. Luis Suarez feeling pretty good, scored a very good goal, maybe the goal of the season uh, this past weekend against Osasuna. And I don't know. This is this is such. I I honestly, if we get into tips and predictions here, I, I'm linking. I'm looking at the draw. Uh, I, I think that I could see a one-one here. I feel like Atleti sometimes look a little bit more relaxed away from home than they do at home for whatever reason. Another line I like is both teams to score at minus one fifteen. Minus one fifteen, so you got to bet one hundred fifteen to win one hundred. But but I think we're going to see both teams score because they have the firepower to do so, and because how unpredictable and how inconsistent both defenses are. So I'm I'm liking a one one bench. What do, what are you saying? Yeah, that sounds about right for me. I mean, one thing specifically on on Oblak and and the Atleti defense. I was literally just looking at this now, and it might it's always a little bit of a gray area, but. This is already of the last five seasons. This is already the most penalty kicks they've conceded in La Liga. So sometimes I think that Oblak is conceding a lot of goals because his defense is setting him up to yeah, do so. That's fair. Although it's also true that kind of when you look at like post shot XG and, and all that goals prevented, he's massively down. So it's, I think this is a, a thing, an off year. So for all those reasons, I think both teams score, but I, I, I don't think either team can quite dominate this tie enough so yeah one all sounds about right to me yeah just to throw out there too they're missing a lot of players at Leti. Cunha's out Daniel Voss is out Carrasco's suspended for both legs after getting a, a red card that got uh extended a little more Felipe's out Thomas Lamar might be out Hamorso might be out Coke's out I mean that's a significant amount of players that they could be missing I'm just curious to see if it if he starts with Joao Felix who played very well against Osasuna or if he goes back to Angel Correa he doesn't seem to like to play those guys together it'd be Luis Suarez and one of those two and I guess we're going to figure out which one uh, Simeone thinks is best. But uh, this is a big opportunity for them to get a result while they're in Spain. But I don't think it's going to be easy for Manchester United in leg two at Old Trafford. But yeah, 1-1 one, one seems about right. All right, let's move into our last Champions League round of 16 game. Benfica versus Ajax, the battle of the hipster teams. Now, Ajax had a perfect record in the group stages, six games, six wins, absolutely cruising. It wasn't like they looked too troubled this whole time through. Sebastian Allaire, their striker up top, leading goal scorer in the group stages and uh, his first six games ever in the Champions League. He's got 10 goals. The guy is an absolute beast. Dusan Tadic off one side, Anthony on the other. Talk about a team that has an identity. I think Ajax has that. With no disrespect to Benfica or anybody else in the competition, I really like what Ajax has got going. And I think they got a favorable draw here with Benfica. What are your overall thoughts initially here, Benj, on this game? Very much just like you were saying, we've seen what 
um, Ajax due to teams of Benfica's level? Because I think it's probably fair to to put Benfica alongside Sporting and alongside uh, Dortmund and even Besiktas, and they just obliterate them because this team knows how to play together. I mean, you're looking at their last four games. They've scored three against Heracles, five against Vitesse Arnhem, five against Twenty, and then beat Willem Twey away as well. That's the only thing. The only thing is you say when they haven't played a, a top team, except PSV maybe, since the Champions League ended. But then they didn't seem to stop them last time. Um, they're, they're just wonderful. Anthony and Tadic, possibly two of the best creative players in the Champions League so far this season. How much Allaire was just a fluke? I don't. I just don't think it is because it, 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 he is getting loads of chances and a good striker. I, I don't think Allaire has become world class. I think they put a good striker into a a world class system, system, as you were yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. And so, if you just score at the rate an average striker does, you're going to get loads of goals. Um, you know, I like some of the options they've got off the bench as well. Ihataran, if I pronounced that correctly, who they, they picked up on loan from, from mm-hmm. Juve. I think he's a, a really talented youngster. Losing David Neres is a shame, but then it kind of says everything about how good Ajax are that David Neres can't get a game. Really good winger. So, um, yeah, I think they're the complete package and I'd be pretty confident they can come back firmly in control of the tie. I do want to throw out there, and this is an incredible stat. Ajax have not lost away from home this season in all competitions. You know how insane that is? And also, in the Eredivisie, and whatever you think about the strength of that league, you can only play the teams that are in front Mm. of you. They've played 23 games. They've scored 70 goals. And they've only given up five, Bench. They've only given up five goals. Like, they're not... They just what I what I think that says outside of the strength of the league maybe not being as strong as we'd like it to be to challenge Ajax a little bit more, but that just seems for me that they're they're super engaged on that side of the ball. Like it, they, there's a point of pride to be good defensively. Whereas you know if they went up five zero, which they do in a lot of games for three or four zero, there's a natural tendency to want to just just drop ah whatever three one four one who gives a shit you know. But but. They, it's a point of pride for them. And, and they were very good in the Champions League knockout rounds. They didn't have the strongest group, but they can only play the teams that are in front mm. of them. And now they have another team in Benfica that they should be able to handle. Benfica coming off a 2-2 draw with Boa Vista. They also, I mean, just for the laughs, right? They got Otamendi and Vertonghen starting as their center backs, which, I'm... I mean, maybe, I don't even know, five years ago, you would have been like, yeah, those guys are going to win us anything of consequence. But but now, being old, as old as they are, yeah, I, their experience obviously is second to none. But is that enough? Those guys actually holding it down to help you over two legs against a team that can just score for fun? I just find it hard to. I just it's hard for me. I'm trying hard to find a narrative as to where I think Benfica, outside of them playing at home, which I don't think is is going to be easy for Ajax. But as I mentioned, they have not lost at home yet this season. They've got this superb mentality, which is why Eric Ten Hag is probably one of the most sought after managers in all of Europe. Uh, what are your predictions for this one, Bench? Well, I was just going to say one thing. If we're looking at how what how Benfica could get get out of this alive, stay in the tie. I remember going right right back to the start of the season and being thrown the hospital pass that was the second leg of Benfica against PSV in the um, in the qualifiers. Mm-hmm. And Benfica down to ten men defended phenomenally, and you know just let PSV have the ball 
And guys like Otto, I think Otamendi, one of Otamendi of the Tongan might have been missing anyway. Um, and you had Verissimo in as well. He's a fantastic young defender. But they just suited them. Like there mm-hmm. was sort of like a, well, we don't want to worry too much about playing ambitious football. We'll we'll see what we can get away with here. Kick kick the ball long and wait for it to come back to us. So maybe if they're just willing to do that 11 against 11, they might be all right. And you hope that Darwin Nunez does something at the other end. But, you know, you've just laid out the case for Ajax there. It's They're a fantastic team. 2-0 to Ajax, I reckon. Yeah, I, I yeah, I find it hard to believe that Benfica's got a chance. I felt the same way about Spurs against City. So anything's possible. You still have to go out there and play no matter what we say and what we see on paper. But let's get into my parlay here, Benj. I have Chelsea winning. Yeah. I have Villarreal winning. I think they're going to have to try to take advantage of Juve being a little bit thin in a couple areas of the field. Uh, I have a draw between Atleti and Man United, and I've got Ajax winning. That pays plus seventeen forty-seven. So if I bet a hundred, I win seventeen hundred dollars. Yes, please. I'll probably only bet ten because I'm not uh, a high roller like you, Ben. We don't pay what, you enough. What? <laughs> that's true. What? What? If I go with a draw with Villarreal, Juventus, I'll take that one out. That goes up, jumps up to plus twenty-two hundred instead of uh, a straight hey, up yeah. Villarreal. But uh, what? What? What are you saying? What? What would be your parlay before I we think- uh, take a dance into the Europa League really quick? Oh, if we're going in the Europa League. No, 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 no. I want I oh. want your parlay just for Champions League and then we'll I just want to I'm teasing that we're gonna talk about some of the big Europa League. Games. All right, so in fact, can you do me with correct scores as well? I could, but that might take me a little bit longer. But let's oh, let's, let's not uh, do that then. Yeah, just give me like your overall results winner. So let's have a Chelsea win. Okay. Uh, a draw between Villarreal and Juventus, a Got draw it. between Atletico Madrid and that other team, Man, Man United. And a win Ajax. for Ajax. Yeah, so that's plus 2,200. I think that's a solid bet, Ben. I mean, I honestly, wish... I put $10 on Villarreal, parlay with $10 of Villarreal winning, and then $10 with uh, the draw between Villarreal and Juve. Can't and you, okay, $20. Yeah, you have... Um, this is... I feel like they're printing money for us right now. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> I always feel like... Um, the Champions League is I don't I don't bet often at all, but right. I think I, I what I would do is a parlay and accumulator as we call it, and I find the Champions League is much better because it's not like when you do it with the Premier League, the Premier League's just stupid and stupid right, things right, happen right. all the time. <laughs> at least in the Champions League, good football teams are rewarded for doing good football team things, <laughs> unlike Tottenham. I love it. Oh my God. I'm wearing a Spurs jersey just for the laughs. It's a Luka Modric from way back, and it looks like a Boy Scout. Uh, out uniform over here in the states because it's got the little like yellow sash and all that for everybody that can't see so pretty funny but i just want to give him a shout out it was a big win for them antonio conte was on the precipice of losing four straight league games for the first time in his managerial career and harry kane helped him avoid that one so, of the so, most bizarre atmospheres i've been at a game i've been at this season you were there yeah it was, oh wow um, i didn't know you were there it was thrilling it was also a really long journey through storm addled united kingdom to get up to see Spurs win but um just the we were we were sat there and um just behind us were the radio people doing the post-match phone-in and for a Man City fan was sort of screaming down the, the phone going it, you know something has to be this is a disaster something has to be fixed immediately and the guy at the other end was like you've not lost the game since December before today yeah right what is your problem but uh it shows you can you can never satisfy football fans no matter who they support yeah, that's funny. I like that. That's great insight. All right, let's move on to the Europa League, Bench. I'm going to just go whip through the results of leg one because these two teams, or all these teams, are playing again in leg two on Thursday, and I think there's a lot of intrigue here. Barcelona 
Napoli was 1-1. Now they go back to Naples. I think we'll get into that game for sure. Napoli plays today against Cagliari, so we don't know exactly uh, how they're going to be coming in result-wise, injury-wise, all that. But Barcelona did look very good this past weekend. You got Betis, who were on the road against Zenit and did what they needed to do, winning 3-2, but no away goals. So those three goals don't seem as Highly weighted. Rangers, I think, was a big shock going into mm. Germany to beat Borussia Dortmund 4-2. Sheriff keeping the good run going, beating Braga 2-0. Porto beat Lazio 2-1 after being down a goal. Sevilla took took down Dinamo Zagreb. That was a good professional performance from Sevilla. Atalanta coming back to beat Olympiacos 2-1. And RB Leipzig and La Real 2-2, even though Leipzig probably deserved the win on the balance given the amount of chances that they created. Now, Thinking about all those results, let's go to Barcelona and Napoli first, and then I'll kind of get your thoughts on Dortmund Rangers and then uh, any other ones that jump out at you. How are you feeling about leg two in Naples? Because this Napoli team, no matter what happens today in their Serie A game, I still feel like have to be slight favorites in this just because I think they know what they're doing. They have a little bit more of an identity. And I just think that Barcelona back line is a little vulnerable at times. They still have a tendency to give up great chances. And if Ter Stegen's not on in goal, uh, it's going to make it very hard for them to come back against a good Napoli team. See, I'm leaning towards Barcelona. Well, I love it. it. It is obviously it's going to be different, not being in the, being, you know, the game being played in Naples. But uh, I thought that first leg, Barcelona were were pretty comfortably the better team. Ozymen was a bit of a nightmare for them on the counter, like you say. He is not, he is used to playing better centre backs than Barcelona's, but they created a lot of good chances on another day. Ferran Torres could have had a hat trick. Mm-hmm. Aubameyang we've seen click into gear against Valencia as well. And I, I think this team style of play is going to suit him if they can just get him in open space. Um, Pedri's looking fantastic. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Just, you know, I, I did like Xavi said he's the best 19 year old in, in the world. And I was just Googling going, uh, okay, Florian Verts is 18, so he's fine. There. <laughs> um, it, and that's what it's tough. I feel like Barcelona is sort of developing very rapidly a like a, they lack a bit of substance, and I don't trust them anymore in big games. Amazing mm. when we think how recent it was that they were, but, but they are a bit flaky. But I just, you know, off the back of that first game, I think if you played that over again, even in hostile surroundings, Barcelona would win ten, eight times out of ten. No, I agree with you. I actually was pretty impressed with Barcelona's just chance creation. And like you said, on another day, they probably hit a couple uh, a couple more goals. I do think that Napoli at home is a different beast than they are away from home. And I think maybe they were a little more cautious. It kind of felt... Like Osimhen was a little bit by himself on an island at times. Like he'll create something and then maybe we can join the attack if the opportunity looks good enough. But let's not stretch ourselves too thin. And I think they're going to be probably pretty happy on the balance that they got a draw to go back to to Naples with that. Obviously playing on a Monday gives them a little bit less uh, time to rest. But but um, I don't know. That's, that's a tough one for me. I could see this one going into extra time and then flipping a coin. I mm. do think that, uh, that defensively, when Koulibaly's in, they're just a different side than when he wasn't there for a while. I don't know. I'm still on the fence with this one. What I'll say to everybody, if you're looking to bet this one, just wait till the lineups come out. Get some more information because I think that could impact and influence which way you want to lean. All right, let's talk about Dortmund versus Rangers. That Guerrero goal is 4-1 Rangers. That Guerrero goal late, I think, keeps Dortmund in the conversation. They just scored six this past weekend against Mönchengladbach, so they clearly have the firepower. And that was six goals without Erling Holland in the team. Unfortunately, from an American perspective, Gio Reyna looks to be hurt. 
And that's a big loss for us, especially for this upcoming upcoming qualifying window. Do you think Rangers can can see it out here at Ibrox? Or do you think that Dortmund, if Erling Holland does play in this one, they have a chance? I assume you think they have a chance with Holland in it. Yeah, I mean, with Holland in it, of course. But I do think, you know, I would trust Rangers to score by all accounts. Dortmund, that you know, Dortmund's backline. It wasn't just a bizarre off day; it was quite a consistent reflection of who they are. That they let in a lot of goals and looked very underwhelming. So, you know, how many do Rangers need to score? One, I think one. You know, yeah, one, and you lose three. It's, suddenly, this is the one where you're like, well, okay, maybe I could see a case for away goals. But equally, you know, I would back Rangers to to score at least once, and then they probably won't win. But I think they can do enough to just lose by a one-goal margin, and mm-hmm. then you're through. I mean, um, the good news for, on Rainer, he certainly won't be available for for this game. But but Dortmund have said it, it's not as bad as first feared. I've I've heard indications. Our own Mike, Roger Gonzalez as well was telling me maybe two weeks. So hopefully, fingers crossed. Dortmund, you want he's the player you want to rush back, but take him slow and uh, let's hope he's available for the qualifiers. Yeah, another <laughs> game here. Fun. No, 100%. I'm uh, cautiously optimistic about Giorena. The one thing about a hamstring injury or any muscle injuries is just getting that confidence in that muscle group again, that that you can have that burst. You can, you know, a ball comes up over the top, you're holding somebody off, and you're basically using every single muscle in your body to make that happen. And can you have the confidence to to see that through? And, and now that he picked up another one, it's just going to put that, that, that doubt in his mind, which isn't a good thing, but hopefully he'll work through that. And from what I understand, Dortmund's got a tremendous medical staff, so I'm sure he'll be fine. All right, looking at all the other games, Benj, and based on some of the results you saw in leg one that I had run over, is there any any other match that you're looking to see that you think will be a cracking affair in leg two? I mean, the obvious answer is is Sociedad against, Real Sociedad yeah. against RB Leipzig. A lot to play for and, and two potential contenders. But uh, I, I I just want to see Sheriff again. You know how much I love this team. Um, not anything else to do with how that, but just the, the specific players on the pitch and the feelings they give me. Nothing else. I don't want to talk about that other stuff. It's an amazing story. And Braga are a team with high quality players who have been in the Champions League, you know, or in the, the qualifiers for the Champions League before and who you would expect to quite often be going deep into this this competition. I just kind of want to see against... I mean, and they are. Braga are like the, the most Europa League team I can think of. Mm-hmm. So if Sheriff can beat them, a, a deep run into this competition, it'd be an amazing, as I say, as I say, an amazing story from a football perspective that the players they brought there, fantastic group of young players. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on Sheriff again. I do enjoy okay. watching them. And I appreciate that. And just to remind everybody, the Europa League format has changed. So we have eight games or 16 teams that are happening now. And the winners of these eight games, these two-legged affairs, go on to play the group winners of the Europa League. So, Benj, my my last question, and then we'll get into final thoughts. Do you think we're going to see a champion of this competition from these 16 teams? Or do you think it's going to be from one of the number one teams that won their group? And I'll name those teams. Lyon, Monaco, Spartak Moscow, Eintracht Frankfurt. Galatasaray, Red Star Belgrade, Bayer Leverkusen, and West Ham. Do you think that gives them an advantage that they don't have to play these extra, let's say, two legs that we're seeing now? It helps, but it kind of helps your league form. Doesn't it? it doesn't really matter for your Europa League form. It just makes it a bit... And that's good. Reward the teams that have, have, have been in this competition from the outset and have done the best. But I don't think it helps. I still, you know, luck of the draw or whatever, 
I think, and I've thought ever since this has all happened, the final in Seville is going to be the winner of Barcelona versus Napoli against West Ham. That would be amazing. I'd be, I'd I want that. That might be why I think it, because it would be amazing and it'd be an excuse to go to Seville. But I also I do think it might happen. All right. That is it, everybody. That is the most comprehensive Champions League slash Europa League preview you'll ever get in your life until the next time we do this. So on behalf of Des Norris and James Benj, actually, James, I want to give you your final thoughts. Uh, any, any big thing here that uh, you want to leave us with before we say adieu? Yeah, just a bit of a moan from me, really. I just can't believe that on big Champions League nights, big Europa League nights, the Premier League are disrespecting Europe, disrespecting me and my need to keep across two leagues at once by playing such big games. I mean, we do have Liverpool against Leeds, Arsenal against Wolves, big games happening in the Premier League. Now, I wouldn't miss a a minute of Champions League action and and I'll certainly be watching it on Paramount+. Plus. But uh, just remember to check the Premier League scores at full time. I just think Arsenal's doing it so they can remember what it's like to play a, a, an important midweek game on a European <laughs> night. That's all. I'm just throwing that out there. All right. Now we're officially done, everybody. Thank you, James Benz. You're a myth, the man, the myth, the legend. I said that wrong, but I think everybody knows what I'm trying to say. You're an absolute beast, and we appreciate you. My pleasure. Always fun being here, especially when the, uh, when the boss is away. <laughs> all right, everybody. So, again, on behalf of Bench and our producer, Des Norris, and, of course, the amazing host, Luis Miguel Echegaray, I'm Jimmy Conrad, and I want to say enjoy your week of some amazing games, and we will see you very, very soon. Later! Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.